When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. It's Wednesday night. It's the On Texas Football Longhorn live stream. My name is Ray Peters, your host, alongside CJ Vogel, who's always here on Wednesdays. Rod Babers is usually here, but Rod had some oral surgery the other day and still recovering from that. So we're going to give him time to recover. And Rod, we hope you feel a little bit better. But look who's here with us. The legend, Jerry Hamilton. Jerry, good to see well, you, buddy. Brought in, brought in some healthy jowls for tonight. <laughs> You're looking good, man. I was always hey, you know. easy day on the road when you love your job. That's yeah, all I no, say. Did, did you get any jerky before you left? No, but I did go to Texas Roadhouse for a quick little dinner, which is never okay. a bad thing, right? Except the you know those rolls with that cinnamon honey butter, oh, yeah. they don't they just go straight to the stomach. You know, there's there's nowhere else they're going. Yeah, you can't fill up on those too quickly. Otherwise, it's a waste of a trip, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. These trips are good and bad. I gain about five pounds. I'll say yeah, that. I, I still fill up, and then I take a lot of food home with me. So I, I've got my my uh, plan there. But uh, welcome to uh, a not very eventful National Signing Day. I'm, I've said before, I'm an old sportscaster. Back in the day, this was my busiest day of the year. It ain't the way anymore for guys like CJ and Jerry because we get this stuff done mostly in December. And today, Texas literally did not have a new signee, correct? And Sark even started this news conference today by making that obvious uh, observation, a, a sea change in the business. So, Jerry, tell us about uh, the old signing days in the past. This used to be a really big day for you as well. Kind of different, huh? Yeah, it was a huge day. Um, you know, as crazy as uh, back in the days when I was ESPN – and we had the Recruiting Nation TV shows on ESPNU, then uh, have the National Signing Day shows on ESPN and ESPN2. I mean, it was a race. Uh, it was a race to the first Wednesday in February. Uh, but things have changed so much. And Sark said it in the press conference, CJ will go over all that. But it really kind of took shape three years ago. Uh, and Sark 100% right on when all this really started to change with the portal, um, with more kids being early enrollees. I think that has... That the early enrolling numbers has changed the slate signing period as much as anything. Um, I mean, think about Texas class, 17 to 20, uh, 22 guys are early enrollees. Um, so those guys' recruitments are finished uh, by December. Um, so that, that, that's that been a big change in college football is over half of these classes are early enrollees. They're graduating from high school in December. So that shuts down recruitments. So even if some of those kids decided not to sign early if they weren't early, early enrollees, you know, then you'd still have more recruitments into February. But NIL um, and then the early enrollees definitely changed the game. 
Sure. CJ, your take on it. I know that uh, you're a lot newer to the business than Jerry and myself, but uh, as Jerry said in the last three years, a huge change. Yeah, it kind of feels like it's lost its luster in February a little bit. You know, obviously we're sitting here not necessarily celebrating any, you know, additions to the class or subtractions. You know, there just hasn't it was a big day of nothing, essentially. But, you know, credits to the Texas staff for taking care of everything in December. You know, that's uh, with how crazy college football has gotten for these coaches and their schedules are so backed up with whether it be coaching in the fall, preparing for a college football championship run, whatever it is, NIL, the portal. You know, there's a lot that these guys have to take care of now. And for Sarkeesian and his staff to take care of all of the high school recruiting ahead of time in December and get that kind of sealed and signed and and, and, and ready, pushed away for, you know, the 25 class to begin whenever it did. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the new age approach to recruiting that we'll see from the high school ranks. And, I mean, we've seen it now. Texas, instead of – putting the final touches on the 24 class this these past couple months, just had 150 kids from the 25 class and beyond to yeah. really start, you know, kind of uh, showcasing and, and and speed racing a little bit forward ahead of time. So I think it's interesting, but I mean, this day used to be sacred and I, I feel like it, <laughs> we're losing a little luster there, but it's all going back to December. And that's really where uh, all the, the bread is buttered really to, to keep sure. on the, the Texas roadhouse uh, trend right here. <laughs> Good one. Hey, a, a little housekeeping, just to throw out a few names there that uh, did sign that we've been following for months. So I'm going to say, thankfully, Dominic McKinley's out of the picture. He signed with the LSU today. Uh, Alex Foster, the big kid, uh, is he from uh, Louisiana? Where's Alex from? Greenville, Mississippi. That's, that's right. Baylor. From the Delta. Yep. Yeah. So he did end up signing with Baylor. I know there was a flirtation, if that's what you want to call it, with Texas for a little bit. And then Terry Bussey, I don't think Texas ever really seriously considered Bussey a person that would be in the class, but he did end up signing with Texas A&M. So three big names that were still out there. That was a huge win for A&M because LSU made that push. And, you know, at one point in January, LSU was considering themselves the favorite, uh, but A&M made the late push there, kept them in the class. Uh, So that was a good win for Elko against LSU. Yep. Hey, let's uh, get some uh, questions in. We do have a super chat already from Justin Yarbrough. And Justin, we kid about you all the time, but we're very grateful for you always uh, participating. He comes by the Wednesday live streams and uh, makes me feel good because he always throws a super chat our way. And Justin, he uh, brings up the Sarkeesian news conference today. We've already touched on it just a bit, but CJ, you were there front and center. So uh, we'll get your, your take first. And then Jerry, I'd love for you to weigh in too. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the entire thing yet, but uh, Justin Yarbrough in the Super Chat asks, Jerry and CJ, what are y'all's thoughts on Coach Sarkeesian's press conference and then those staff promotions that were also announced uh, yesterday? Yeah, Justin, thanks for the Super Chat. I was at uh, Sarkeesian's press conference today talking about uh, National Signing Day and the promotions within the recruiting department. The number one thing that really stood out to me is Sarkeesian really just kind of hounded on the fact that that loss to Washington in the Sugar Bowl still kind of sitting with them. And I, I think it's lit, you know, uh, I guess relit a stronger fire on him. I mean, he mentioned right away, I'm excited to get back. We understand that we lost a lot of guys to the NFL. We did not have the luxury necessarily of having a lot of production to replace those guys. So we went out and found guys that we feel like are going to put our roster in contention and compete with just about anybody in the country. Uh, It was interesting. Sarkeesian said, basically, I'm obsessed with winning. I'm addicted to finding the next pieces to winning a national championship. And, you know, for somebody that, uh, obviously covers Texas. That's, I think, you uh, a bit of a 
a welcome, you know, sound to hear a little bit. You know, you want to hear that. But as a fan, especially, that, that you love that. You know, you want to hear your coach say, you know, there's something deep down within me right now that is 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 driving me to uh, exhaustion, essentially, to find a way to get over the hump and into the college football playoff, into the national championship game, and then bring that trophy back home to Austin. I love that Sarkeesian really just a little over a month away from losing that opportunity is still sitting there thinking, you know what, that's that's eating at me right now. And I want to get back. I'm excited to get with the team uh, just over a month from now whenever spring ball starts and see really where we are as a football program going into 2024 and into the SEC. So that was one of my biggest te- takeaways. Uh, the quote he had, I have it right here. He said, I, don't, I didn't come here to just be a head coach again. I didn't come here to say I'm the head coach at, at the University of Texas. I came here to win a championship. I'm borderline obsessed with it. I love that. And so I, I really took that away, uh, not only from his overall uh, press conference this afternoon, but really uh, from what we're hearing behind the scenes as well. Everything that's going on in winter conditioning is putting these guys in a position to be uh, team first, win first, everything for the team and to bring a championship to Austin. I thought that was really impressive. I, I'll say this, and I didn't get to see all of it because I was on the road traveling up 59, and I, I can name all the towns where all the great mm-hmm. players came from always when you travel up 59 <laughs> in East Texas. But I, I'll tell you, aside from the quote CJ gave, the one thing I heard him say that I absolutely love is he really understands the job as a Blue Blood head coach. He said, I, it's, I, I can't sit up here at a press conference and tell you we're inexperienced. He gets what today's day and age of college football is as a blue at a blue blood school. There is no excuse to, to say we're an inexperienced football team anymore. Not in college football, not for a blue blood, not for a Texas, not for Georgia and Alabama, none of these schools. If any of these head coaches get up and say, you know, we're really inexperienced. We signed 29 guys. You know, I don't know what next year is going to hold for us. Then you know what? You're not doing your job, in my opinion. There is no excuse for that. Um, I wanted to mention the, uh, uh, the the two assistant hires. You know, we've talked about it. Um, I, I've missed some time to get a chance to talk about some of it. But I love Johnny Nansen mm-hmm. because it continues the West Coast recruiting, those connections out in California, Hawaii, where he was after the season at Arizona when he went home to Hawaii, then in Arizona. I mean, if you look, I put a story out on OnTexasFootball.com today, kind of the breakdown of the signees for these three full classes ranked five, three, and six, um, and how much of a West Coast presence there is in Arizona and uh, California, and then obviously Todd Beamer High in Washington with Malik Ogbo. So Texas is going to continue to recruit the West Coast. There's going to be that footprint under Steve Sarkeesian, then the state of Texas, then the Southeast region. And that doesn't mean – Kyle Flood won't dabble in New Jersey, his home state from time to time, right? But it's really Florida, Georgia, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, skip New Mexico unless there's a great player, Arizona, California, and then sometimes up uh, north. But uh, I thought Nansen's hire really is more of that and keeps Sarkeesian right where he wants to be in the state of California. Then uh, Kenny Baker, what's interesting about him, look, Bo has years of connections in the southeast. I think Texas wants to get into Georgia a little bit more in the future as they kind of become a true SEC team playing Georgia and playing other SEC programs. And I think Kenny being from uh, that Atlanta area, south of Atlanta, I, I think is it can help Texas there because you now have Kenny Baker and Tashar Choice 
uh, two very high energy guys recruiting that Peach State. Uh, but also, obviously, Kenny Baker is coached at Western. He's recruited all the states, maybe not at the Texas Blue Blood level, uh, but he's recruited those states. So I thought the two hires, again, fit exactly what Steve Sarkeesian's plan was when he took the Texas job. The same regions, the same states. And what has he done? What Sark and Jeff Banks, who I consider GM and <laughs> GM2 uh, Texas, um, is they've recruited three straight top six classes with the majority coming from those states. Hey, CJ, speak to uh, Brandon Harris and the rest of the changes or promotions, if you want to call it that, in the personnel department. Tell us a little bit about uh, what that really means. I know some people are trying to make it more broad, but he's basically over that particular section of things, not the entire enterprise of Texas football. Right. Certainly, you know, that department of recruiting and the kind of the background that goes through uh, hosting recruits for visits, extending offers, extending camp invites, everything that goes into that. And obviously maintaining relationships behind the scenes. A lot of that falls into the department now in which Brandon Harris is now the general manager of Texas recruiting and the department uh, behind the scenes there. Sarkeesian was really, uh, I guess, praiseworthy of Brandon Harris today, whenever he mentioned the promotions in that recruiting department. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting is Brandon Harris arrived in 2019. So he predates Steve Sarkeesian just a little bit. He was an offensive analyst under Tom Herman. And whenever Sarkeesian got here and he was going through the interviews and the staffs, uh, the staff hirings at the time, he basically, you know, connected with Brandon Harris. He said, you know, the two of them got along very well. Both of them were former college quarterbacks. Both of them understand the game the way, uh, in which they are basically on the same wavelength that, that, to say, you know, and I, I think that's interesting because uh, for a position like general manager of your recruiting department, there has to be a lot of trust and there has to be a lot of the same continued thought there from Steve Sarkeesian to Brandon Harris, whether it be one end of the spectrum from the football field to the recruiting background, that has to mesh very well. And I thought that he spoke very highly of Brandon Harris. He called him uh, a, a genius in the sense of, what he's able to do so far behind the scenes. Uh, I actually really like the way that he talked about both of them see prospects in the same kind of view. Uh, again, I think that goes back to being college quarterbacks. There's a different perspective in what they bring to the table. So uh, another thing is amongst the four uh, promotions yesterday in the Texas recruiting department, all of them came from within the Texas mm -hmm. uh, uh a program already. I thought that was interesting. I liked it. I liked the continuity. Jerry just mentioned three straight top six classes. You're keeping the bulk of, of the guys that helped make that possible behind the scenes now, you know, in your, your room moving forward. So I, I'm a big fan of that hire and move as well. Sarkeesian also said he's not done in that, that department. He of course didn't necessarily go into a, a whole lot of details on what he meant by that. Didn't divulge any secrets. He keeps the tricks up his sleeves more often than not when he, when he has the opportunity, but uh, there should still be an addition or two out there, maybe a, a rearranging of, of, of titles or, or uh, objectives as well. So we'll see what that entails. But for now, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with Texas being able to maintain the bulk of the, the work that they were able to build in the recruiting department now still in the recruiting department moving forward. Yeah, I, I love I love uh, the role changes. Um, you know, Bob Shipley talked about on Coffee and Football this morning, he talked about John Michael Jones, Jam Jones a little bit. But I think you know, there's so much on a head coach's plate nowadays that if you have a group of people who are very organized, who understand what you want in your organization, why would you change it at all? Why would you go away from guys who have kept you connected, kept you organized? Because recruiting nowadays to me is as much about organization 
as anything, especially at the level Texas is at. You evaluate so many players, whether that's high school, whether that's portal, whoever has it has keeps this thing organized. It's paramount for Texas to continue to have the level of success they've had. Yeah. NIL enters into everything and you've got evaluation of your own players. And yes. So you, you need to say, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, uh, you know, help me out with this NIL or, you know, get me in touch with the collective. And so they've got to analyze uh, what's appropriate for that particular player. Ashton Holloman asked me what the pool table does behind me. I collect dust mostly. <laughs> and, uh, be, be a play surface. That, ball, that ball hasn't moved since when? <laughs> yeah, uh, since I, I missed the ball uh, a couple months ago when everybody. Yeah, uh, got yeah, yeah. That was that was a classic moment, Ray. You got to right, get back up it, there. I, it needs to go viral. I'll, I'll be famous for that. <laughs> but uh, we did have a, a, a comment from BJ Major. So Jerry, let's just wrap, put a bow on this yeah. uh, recruiting class. He asked, "Where do we finish in the class ranking?" So obviously there are different services, but. In your viewpoint or whatever service you use, I know we started having some, some things on the website, the On Texas Football Rankings. I don't know if we have our own official ones yet, but uh, where do uh, the Longhorns stand this year? I, I like the six the six spot where most people okay. have Texas at. And this is just high school for me. This is high school. If you combine high school and portal, I think Texas moves up a couple of notches. But if we're talking the high school recruiting, 22 signees, number six ranked class. I think that's accurate. What's interesting to me when you look at those class rankings, the five teams ahead of Texas. So if you're Georgia, uh, you're Alabama, you're Ohio State, you keep moving down, Oregon, Miami, Texas. Texas and Ohio State signed 22 prospects. Everybody else signed 26, 27, 28. So Texas have the number six class, but you got to dive a little bit more into that. If Texas has signed 27, 28 guys at the high school level, that had a top three class. Uh, you know, last year they signed 25. A couple more five stars finished number three. The 2022 class, the first full class for Sark, he signed 28 guys and finished number five. So that how many you sign does factor in. Um, but I, I thought Texas had a tremendous class for signing 22 prospects. At the end of the day, uh, nowadays, if you sign 21, 22 kids and you finish uh, top six, seven, five class, you, you had a whale of a class. And uh, the fact that 17 or early enrollees, I, I think, even adds more value to the class. And I think they address needs. I think defensive line with that transition, losing DeAndre Robinson to Florida, who I never thought, I, and people have followed, I never thought he was 100% bought into being a Longhorn. He was going to Texas because Bo um, had a great relationship with him. But once Bo went to LSU, that writing was going to be on the wall. DeAndre would choose to stay closer to home, closer to his mom and girlfriend at Florida. Uh, so they got to hit another D lineman in the portal. Uh, they've got to address that. But otherwise, I thought Texas did a great job addressing needs in the class, which is as important or more than where your class ranking finishes. We have a uh, need for some questions here. Let's get some in. Yes. I got a good one from K Drag Four just a few minutes ago at 728. He says Colin Simmons was considered a must-get in that last cycle. Who would be the must-get this cycle? I'll take one, and we'll let CJ take the other. I hope right. I hope I don't. I got one in mind. Huh? I got, got one, one in mind. Okay, you want me to go Brandon Brown or KJ Lacey? <laughs> I was All thinking right. in-state, but I like that. I like both there of those. So okay, so I'm going to go Brandon Brown, um, and that's hey, nothing against KJ Lacey. He's a quarterback. He starts first committed to class. So we know the, what those guys' value is. If Sark is the – that's the one quarterback he offers, that's a high-value target. But I'm going to go Brandon Brown because his defensive line, 
He's in the state of Florida, which Texas has had a lot of success in. I think he's very underrated nationally uh, right now. And those rankings, well, they'll adjust. They'll work themselves out over time. Once people realize he's not six feet, he's actually over six one because, you know, that half inch makes all the difference, apparently. Look at Byron Murphy in the first round now, everybody. Um, not listening to this, but other people. Um, Brandon Brown is explosive, powerful, uh, has a great motor, highly productive. Uh, they're in the space coast of Florida. Um, but I think he's got everybody in the country coming after him, right? A&M's going to make a run because Sean Spencer was the D-line coach at Florida. Uh, Brandon Brown loves the idea of playing college football in the state of Texas, even though he has a lot of family members uh, that played at Florida, went to Florida. He actually went to A&M camp last summer and didn't visit Texas, which is interesting. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's really like the University of Texas, the thought of that. He's a guy that wears cowboy boots. I can tell you, not many people in Melbourne wear cowboy boots, okay? But he has a pair. Uh, but he, I think he has a potential to be a true difference maker on the defensive line. So he is my must-get, which is now must-keep recruit. And you know how highly Texas values that talent? Sark, Banks, and Tashard Choice went out to see him before Kenny Baker could get on the road. That tells you how much Texas values Brandon Brown. I like that pick. Brandon Brown, I was asked the question, what's a successful first season for Kenny Baker on the trail? Keeping Brandon Brown in the class is enough for me if you add two other pieces. Whoever they might be, Brandon Brown to me is someone that has a very high spe uh, special ceiling. So like that pick. I'm going to stay in-state, go up to DFW a little bit. Uh, Michael Fasusi is a guy that I think Texas needs to land. Uh, Texas landed a five-star tackle last year with Brandon Baker. Um, again, if you can continue adding to your trenches in the SEC, great things happen. And Texas has done a tremendous job of building that offensive line room to where it is today, where it was from Sarkeesian's first year in 2021. So what we're seeing today is just night and day. If you can continue to not only win in DFW, but to win these big uh, blue chip recruitments in the state of Texas, I think that goes a long way, especially when you're looking at a team like Oklahoma trying to come back down to Texas, get some of these big guys to shore up that offensive line uh, in which there's a lot of question marks for the future of that offensive line, not just 2024, but the future of that offensive line is a little a little questionable. Also, A&M is looking for that big splash win on the recruiting trail as well. Uh, they got a big one today in Terry Bussey, but that 25 class is going to be Elko's first real cycle in which he's judged for. If he's able to land a five-star offensive lineman from the state of Texas, that's a little bit of momentum in which – uh, they'll be able to build upon. So keeping him in state and in burnt orange is very important. Texas is able to get the last visit with him at Louisville High School. I think they double dipped actually with Kyle Flood going up there Wednesday of last week and then uh, Steve Sarkeesian to shard choice. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm missing one here, Jerry. Who was the last one? Uh, uh, that, I, think, I think that was it. I think those are the guys that went in there. Um, just the three. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, to CJ's point too, where Texas needs D-line in this class, A&M has to hit on offensive line. They're not in a good spot on the offensive line. I know Mike Elko's coaching at the flagship program in the state, as he said today. But if nobody's, if anybody missed that, you might want to find it. You can find that on Twitter. Um, but they have to score on the offensive line. They have to evaluate that position really well. I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to have a seven-man class like Texas had but they have to hit on some guys. It's a good year in state on the offensive line. I would think he's a must-get for A&M, which, make, which makes him one of the best recruiting uh, prospects to follow in this 25 class because Beatonball wow. wants him. Wow, how about that? 
Hey, Mike G gave us a super chat. Look, look how generous this young man is. Thank you, Mike. If you're my age and not necessarily young, I'm calling you young, making you feel good because of this nice super chat, buddy. He says, no question. Just wanted to say thanks for the great job, Jerry, you and CJ are doing. So we're very grateful for that, Mike. Thank you so much. Again, we're we're appreciative for anybody who tunes in here and checks us out and is kind to us. That that means a lot. I like seeing that. I've got kind of a question here with two parts that's going to be pretty broadly based because it's going to talk about the importance of Steve Sarkeesian to our program at this point, and I think it's pretty substantial. So Matthew Hutchison, our super producer at 729, David Keith Williams, another guy who's a frequent flyer here. David Keith is always a great contributor. I love reading his comments. He rarely asks questions because he's pretty confident in his opinions, and I appreciate that. This guy knows what he, he knows what he's talking about. He talks about Coach Sarkeesian's demeanor during his interviews, things like the news conference today. He thinks his experiences have developed him and matured him into being almost the perfect person for leading the Longhorn football program. And then, Matthew, we'll match this with the one I had you save early on in the show. And let me go find that one. That was Peyton Ross from 706. He says, Sark has a good ability at getting him fired up about the future of the Texas program, talking about being obsessed with trying to win a championship. That obsession will trickle down to his players. So, Jerry, let me start with you. You've been around a little bit longer I don't know what your opinion was when you heard that Steve Sarkeesian was the selection by Kevin L. Tyfe and CDC and the likes uh, and Jay Hartzell. It's worked out pretty damn well. So it has. With, with these yeah. comments, what, do you, what about Sark and his uh, fit here at Texas? You know, the, the interesting thing is when, when a coach is hired at a college, the one thing I've taken from the years doing this now, making mistakes on coaches, is I wait to see who they hire on their staff. Because each job is different. Do you understand who to hire around you at the University of Texas? Charlie Strong did not. It's not his fault. He had never recruited a player from Texas. He didn't know the landscape. He shouldn't have been hired at Texas. That was really he was put in a position to fail in a way than making a great paycheck. But he didn't know who to hire. He didn't know how to fill that staff out. I, I, I think Sark hit a home run there when he was initially hired. I, I really think he did. He kept enough continuity within that staff. But Jeff Banks recruited Texas, Arizona for years, whether it was at Texas A&M or Alabama, right? Um, Bo Davis had the years of recruiting at Texas. He'd previously been at Texas from, Louis, from Mississippi, went to LSU, had all those years in the Southeast. Um, you know, that when he got to short choice now, that opened up Georgia, Southwest Corridor, Florida. As you know, you're moving to the SEC. So I think he's proven that he knows who to hire at Texas. And I think that's a big thing with how successful I think you're going to be out of the gate. There were some struggles. Um, I definitely, defensively, I had some concerns. I'm not, you know, I'm trying to give you 57 to Kansas at home, okay? You got yeah. concerns. If you don't, you're, you're, you're crazy. Uh, but I think knowing who to hire on his staff, maximizing recruiting, uh, continuing on that path. Not, he doesn't need to change what's working right now. Johnny Nansen, tremendous hire. Kenny Baker, what I liked about Kenny Baker hire is, uh, you know, he is a, he's a run game guy, the Pete Jenkins school run game, right? The great legendary D-line coach, Bo Davis from that same uh, tree. But then he's, he's a well-renowned pass rush coach. Uh, and I really like that hire. I think that was a tremendous hire than with the Georgia ties and Southeast ties. But here's the best compliment I can give Sark as a speaker. He's a national championship or two away 
from when he hangs it up, getting paid $3 million a year to talk about college football. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you give a guy a better compliment than that? He is he can sit in front of the microphone and he communicates it so well mm-hmm. uh, in, in a way that every fan takes something and they feel like they got something out of that press conference. They may even feel like they learned something about football or about Texas or about Steve Sarkeesian every time he goes to the mic. He's a couple of national championships away from having a career on TV when he's done. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really what I wanted to hit on as well. Every time that I hear him speak, it's I mean, the, the demeanor is just so calm and collected. I think that really sticks with him whenever he gets into those kind of sticky situations on game days. That approach of what you hear from Sarkeesian doesn't necessarily change. We've heard him get a little snippy at times when you ask about the quarterbacks or injuries or whatever he doesn't want to necessarily unveil. But for the most part, whenever you're sitting there talking to him, it's 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 it feels genuine. And I, I appreciate that as the head coach of the University of Texas, because that hasn't necessarily been the consistent case from head coach to head coach to head coach over the last uh, couple you know what decade or so. Uh, but Jerry, you mentioned it. It feels like he understands what it's like to be a head coach at a blue blood, let alone someone like Texas. So I, I like that for Sarkeesian, and uh, I, I really appreciated what he said today. I asked him during the press conference, uh, basically, Texas, 10 of the 22 that they signed in the 24 class came from outside of the state of Texas. Feels like Texas, you know, they they take care of their their, their backyard. They, they then kind of branch out nationally. And they get a lot of guys, whether it be from California, Arizona, Mississippi. We, we've covered it in the past. What is it? what does it mean for Texas to become a national brand and how did, you know, Kenny Baker and Johnny Nansen's addition to the staff really help. And, and, and really how does Sarkeesian see them playing a bigger role, you know, later in their Texas career. And he basically said, we've gotten to a point now where recruits see a Longhorn logo and they don't just think Texas, but they think a team that can compete on a national scale because of the way that we've recruited, developed and performed on the field. And you've seen, the, the, the step-by-step improvements from year one to three and where we're at today as we're sitting around here talking, Texas might be a top three, top four team in the entire country coming into next year just off the roster that they have alone. And I think that's really encouraging, obviously, as you go to the SEC. Texas's you know, mainland is moving east, if you will. You know, in the Big 12, it was, it was all Texas-centric. All the teams are playing Tech, uh, Baylor, TCU. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, all of that for the most part is just centered around DFW. You know, right now, moving to the SEC, you're going to be playing Florida, Vanderbilt, Georgia, Alabama. That's moving east. So he said Kenny Baker, to me specifically, is going to allow us to unlock some corridors and inroads in which we necessarily didn't have that that uh, that road available to us before. And I think that's inc- uh, something to mention because, yes, the short choice has done a tremendous job, but he can't do it alone. He can't do it in the trenches. And I, I think that is something that you need someone in that spot to go up there and say, you know, let me let me take or at least walk side by side with you to, to help Texas get a, a really strong foothold in the southeastern uh, area. And so I, I think he gets it. I think the calm demeanor helps him a lot and it helps him see things without being uh, a little reactionary at times. So mm-hmm. um, big time, you know, props to Sarkeesian, because I was impressed again with what he had to say about was it 36 days removed from. Uh, a loss in the Sugar Bowl, it feels like that fire is lit even higher and, and, and larger than what it was any time that I've seen him talk before. Yeah, good to know. Hey, 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 Ray, if you don't mind, somebody's asked about Michael Terry a couple of times. Sure, yeah. uh, Alamo Heights, 6'3", 210, four-star four athlete. Um, look, T- uh, CJ can speak to it as well. 
Texas is right there. We'll, we'll see how hard they push for some of these guys. They're going to play the long game. I think the March uh, unofficial visits, who they get back on campus, uh, when they get those guys on campus will somewhat be telling head in the spring evaluation period, then June official visits. Uh, but I think Texas is right there for Michael Terry, I believe, with TCU, Texas Taxi. Hey, Matthew, AJJ Sports at 729. It's in your bucket. Does which player that did not commit to Texas shocked mm. you the most? As in surprise, Texas was, mm. uh, I guess, not able to close it out is probably what he's asking. Let's just go with it in that direction there. You can even take – let's just go back a couple of years if you want. Let's, we don't need to limit it to uh, this 2024 class if you want. Just who uh, I'll, I'll who, who were you a lot cold uh, – you know, and, and you knew it was going to happen, and it didn't. Hmm. Okay, so I, I, want me to start, CJ? Yeah, I, yeah let me think about it. I'll, I'll start, okay. Um, I, I think Bryce Anderson wanted to be at Texas. Um, I think that was Sark's first year in Austin. Um, and I think Jimbo took uh, Bryce fishing at his pond uh, on his ranch. <laughs> I don't know if he's supposed to do that. Uh, but um, I, I think Bryce was one that I I was a little surprised by um, when the recruitment started uh, because I think I think ideally Bryce wanted to be at Texas. I, I think at the time he might have believed more A&M was the place for him to be. Um, and he's going to go on be an NFL player. Um, he's going to get drafted. He's a tremendous player. He'll have a career in the NFL. Uh, but that was one that surprised me a little bit, dating back to the 22 class. And that's when AM grabbed a lot of momentum in the Houston area. Um, and, and it was interesting. I think uh, one of the things that – and I used that one because Sark, where Sark is he's – he's kept his focus, which is the long game in recruiting, but he's gotten more aggressive in some of those conversations, I think, in June. Um, some of those unofficials maybe a little earlier in that uh, – was talking to somebody near Bryce at the time. They were like, the person was like, I think Bryce wants to go to Texas, but Sark's just not pushing and pushing and pushing him. Um, and he said, and Jimbo's putting all this pressure on him. So I think, you know, coming in, Sark was getting his footing on the landscape in Texas. What the kids were like, they're different in different areas, right, of the state of Texas. Um, and I think he's done a really good job adjusting uh, uh, to kids in the state of Texas in different areas. The message has to be a little different at times, but that's one that I kind of look back on. That I think I think Bryce Anderson would have uh, when this when his recruitment began. I think he preferred Texas. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll go with one that I think Texas will regret not landing. That's Jaden Jackson out of IMG Academy, who ended up at Oklahoma. I know that those that recruitment came down a little bit to the official visits in those summer months, Texas. Uh, you know, was in on him for a bit. Obviously, looking back now, hindsight probably makes that recruitment a little bit more important than, than what it was at the time. But Jaden Jackson, we got to see him a little bit in the Under Armour All-American game in that, that week of practice. He was tremendous. The kid can move. Yeah. You talk to any of those IMG Academy kids, and we wonder why there's not a lot of tape uh, for, for most of those guys in the secondary. When you talk about Jordan Johnson, Rubel, and even looking back at a guy like Gavin Nix in the 25 class as well, you, you know, you're wondering why there's not a lot of tape for those guys that that really throw jumps off the screen, well, it's because him and David Hicks were mopping up the floor up at IMG, so, and so I, I I really like I really like Jaden Jackson, what he brought to the table. He's again at, up at Oklahoma, so 
Uh, Oklahoma's built, in my eyes, a very strong defensive line for the future, whether it be the length and the athleticism on the edge. They're doing a tremendous job on the interior as well. That's going to be something that Texas is going to be uh, having to deal with a little bit moving forward for, for that game up in Dallas every year. But that's a guy I thought Texas... Uh... Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games. You know, could look back on and say, you know what? Wish we landed him. Yeah, he he looked good at the Under Armour game. Is he the guy with all the hair? Right. Yeah. yeah. He's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. He was good. Hey, Murphy's CFC has a, a gift for Jerry. Super uh, chat. Thank you, Murphy's CFC. It says Jerry, next time you're cruising uh, up I-35, that should probably say if you're heading down. I don't know what direction you're coming from, but uh, through West, stop at Slovacics and try their beef jerky. Only uh, thirty-four ninety-nine a pound, but worth every cent. I can't believe what you guys pay for jerky, but uh, that's uh. something you. I, I mean, the price of jerky's gone through the roof, but I will, I, I will do that. No, I've passed through that many times, um, and it's been more painful in recent years because I've had to see uh, Baylor Bears national basketball champions there in Waco as you're kind of on I-35, which is one thing I never thought I would see, honestly. So credit to Scott Drew for that, but uh, <laughs> I will, I will give it a try next time I'm through there. Hey, Kenneth Cassidy wants to talk about the the portal classes and the like. Texas had a really uh, fruitful portal experience, uh, but he's reading about uh, Mississippi and our buddy Lane Kiffin. I, I guess it depends on what metric you're looking at. Some people look at the number of portalers you got. Some people look at the you know ranking averages and the like, but uh, Kenneth has looked at one that says Mississippi is number one. He says, is it Kiffin? Is it uh, money? Where did the money come from? He was shocked how they spent money. Jerry, what do you know about the Ole Miss and the portal? Well, Ole Miss is underrated when it comes to NIL, um, and and they should and they shouldn't be underrated because they got thrown on probation a few years ago. Uh, but you know when uh, oh, yeah. Laramie I Tunzel, know all about it when Laramie Tunzel stepdad threw everything under the bus because he was getting cut out of the uh, money when Laramie went pro. But that's another story. Um, so look, I think Ole Miss was extremely extremely smart here. Um, they have a third year starting quarterback coming back in Jackson Dart in college football and power five football, right? Uh, they added, they went portal more than high school. Okay. It's going to a 12 team playoff. We have enough experience here at quarterback around our guy. If we can build up this offensive line, if we can add to this defensive front, we feel like we're in a position to get in that first 12 team college football playoff. Um, and I think they were very smart uh, about the, the way they went about it in the portal, putting portal ahead of high school at the end. I think that was a great move by them because if you look at Ole Miss's schedule, and now I know some people will say, well, now Lane had a top 10 season. Now he's got a different type of pressure on him. Sure, I get what people are saying, but this is also a 12-team playoff now. Um, so if you look at Ole Miss's schedule, this was the right time to go all in on the portal when you have experience coming back at quarterback because – they have a real shot, uh, I think, to make that 12-team playoff next year. Yeah, trenches, trenches, trenches. Don't us underestimate, 
you know, the the accounting guys, the lawyers, you know, the business kids that come out of Oxford because uh, there's hundreds of thousands of them, basically. I feel like mm. everybody that goes to Mississippi or Total Miss essentially comes out with that kind of degree. So a lot of money comes as a result, and that's, a, you know, big money guys come from uh, or passionate fans down south. So uh, Ole Miss, to your point, Jerry, uh, Prince Liam and Melan, Walter Nolan, the two Washington offensive linemen showing up that that trenches basically with a third year quarterback is going to put them in a situation to compete with just about anybody in the country. Uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see how that back end of that secondary is working a little bit. Um, but but really impressive stuff. I think they're a top three team entering the SEC. Again, we're five, seven, however many months out. I'm not a big math guy when it comes to calendars. But uh, right now I have to think it's Georgia, Texas, and Ole Miss. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Douglas Mayfield has a couple of questions or statements. He thinks that uh, maybe we could have done a little bit more to keep uh, Bo Davis in the house. So he says uh, he's asked this question multiple times. I don't know that uh, I've avoided this before, but we'll throw it to a Jerry Hamilton here. He says he's asked it a bunch. Uh, maybe it's because we don't want to address it. We're addressing it. It seems like Texas could have kept their D-line intact and improved on it. D-line, I presume, just means Bo Davis because we could not have kept Murphy and Sweat. But he says, I understand Bo Davis has ties to LSU, very comfortable with where he was, and he wasn't going to leave. Seems like what nobody's talking about is UT didn't pony up the money. So, Jerry, what uh, do you have to say to Douglas? Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I don't. There's some people say, well, Texas let Bo go or something because he wasn't recruiting. Well, first of all, I disagree with that. Um, uh, I think I think a guy that's as experienced as Bo Davis knows the type of guys that fit well with his coaching style. And it's not about collecting talent. It's about assembling a team, and that goes into your position coaches. But I, I think the thing to remember with the LSU is, yes, he did go there. Uh, yeah, he got a lot of money to go back, to go home, right? But he has a lot – some of his best friends, from what I understand, in coaching, Frank Wilson, Corey Raymond, there's a, there's a lot of continuity with guys there for him. Um, and how long will Bo coach? I mean, look, he's, he's made a good salary now for the last few years. How long will he coach? Is he going to end his career at LSU? I think that's something we'll see. Um, but I think, you know, Corey Raymond, Frank Wilson, he has some of his very best friends in coaching or at LSU. Um, and as you get up there, uh, you know, as many years as he's been doing this, I think I think there was some – some he, he was very comfortable from what I was told by a couple other college coaches about going home right now at this time. And can anyone speak to – there was a report about his son uh, in the area. I don't know if anybody has any knowledge of that or if anybody can speak to that. I'm yeah, I, I, don't think, I don't think that's a, that's a major thing. I think all that okay. stuff is overblown. Um, I, he, look, he has – one of his younger sons is coming up and is probably going to go to Atascacita High School. So, I mean, look, okay. he was – yeah. So, I mean, he has uh, – look, there was there's, re, there's a lot of chatter that some of it's true, some of it not. Gotcha. Hey, we need some super chats, uh, some other questions, and we have a few here that I'm going to get to, like E. Kim at 748, Matthew. This is kind of a broad question. CJ will let you get first crack at it, uh, talking about uh, lawsuits and the like. You look like a bright guy that may have uh, – you could have been a lawyer, maybe. I, I know I – I don't know. know. You're not good at math, but maybe the legal part, right? So uh, do lawyers need to know how to figure out calendars? So we'll see. But anyway. Listen, I get stumped around the 8th through like 11th months of the year. I don't know which comes which. My birthday's in June. After that, my knowledge of the month of the the, the, the order of months just goes out the window. There you go. All right. So here's E. Kim's uh, comment question. He says, any effect that the Tennessee and Virginia lawsuits against the NCAA will 
impact anything with NIL when the NCAA changes rules on a whim. So uh, just talk about what's happening there with uh, Tennessee and Virginia, if uh, you can kind of enlighten us on what's happening with those lawsuits. Yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely well versed on what's uh, kind of the, the, the crust of that, but I do know that I think uh, the best course of action for the NCAA or really the conferences in my eyes that need to step up in regards to NIL is finding ways to put uh, an not agency, but a certification on which these representatives for, for players have, you know, the, uh, they're on a similar playing field. You know, there's got to be some sort of way to pick out the good from the bad and the, the fakes from the phonies, you know, Right now in the world of NIL, you have to go through so many hoops and hurdles to get in contact with kids through whoever is representing them. And most times it's no more than an uncle or a cousin or it's someone that they met off the street that promised that they can knock off a tenth of their 40. You know, there's there's no sense of consistency in the world of NIL when it comes to who represents who. I know that there are a lot of good folks out there that do a lot of great work, but for the most part, there's a lot of inconsistency that cr- creates a lot of uh, you know, issues for a lot of programs. And so I'm looking for a, a little bit of guardrails right now from whoever the governing body is that fit, seems fit for the future of college football, whether that be the NCAA, whether that be the Big Ten, whether that be the SEC or a combination of the two. There's got to be some sort of regulations in check for who becomes uh, a representative for these prospects in high school or even in the portal because it just gets too messy. And you get these lawsuits like we've seen at Tennessee and like we saw at Florida when it came to quarterbacks being promised money in which they weren't necessarily filled in with uh, because of their NIL contract. And now it's sitting back and it's uh, taking away from the good of NIL rather than, you know, what it was supposed to intend for. But I don't know. I, I think it starts with finding out who those regulatory agents are basically and saying, if you're going to talk to kids, if you're going to represent kids, you've got to go through these certain standards and, and requisites basically to ensure that your best interests fit those of the kids and not just, you know, monetary gain for yourself. Hey, Jerry, here's a broad question for you. In five years, maybe 10 might be a, a broader perspective. It obviously would be. What's the NCAA going to look like? Is it going to exist? Uh, will it just exist for certain schools, certain sports programs? What, what's it going to look like in the future? I've I for since all this kind of got going, uh, I thought we're going to have two twenty-four team conferences, and I don't think the NCA is going to be a big factor at, at that point. Um, I, I think uh, I, I kind of agree with Bobby Burton. I think we end up with some sort of far, form of profit sharing. Um, you know what that gets into a Title Nine, anything else? I don't have. I, I have no, not enough knowledge on that. Right, but I think in the world of college football. I think that's where we're headed. And I think you're going to have probably four sixties going to be set up like the NFL um, in a certain way. And, and I think if we stick with 12 playoff teams, um, those two power conferences are probably going to end up with 10 of those playoff teams and whoever's left may get two. Uh, I think that's where we're headed. Um, I think the next TV contracts are probably going to be bigger than the ones they have right now is my guess. Ray, you might have a thought on that as well. I just, I don't, some people are worried about college football. I'm not worried about college football. I just think college football is going through a change. Mm-hmm. I think that I think college football is extremely healthy. And I think as look, as it moves to two 24 team super conferences, I think those super conferences 
their television contracts are going to be extremely healthy. Ray, you may disagree. That's kind of where I come out on it. No, it's uh, absolutely. And it's just like what they said in all the president's men back when they were uh, trying to run down what was going on with Watergate. Follow the money. And so where's the money? It's TV contracts and grant of rights and those type things. And so you've got the leadership and we, we just saw a massive deal. Uh, you know, mentioned that I'm sure they don't have all the details worked out, but ESPN, Fox, uh, all the other, everybody except for two of the broadcast networks are folding into some major streaming thing coming along soon. Hulu will be in it. Max will be in it. Time Warner. So, uh, and you know that college football is going to be front and center there. And so, and I promise you that with whatever's going on with the SEC and the Big Ten, sitting at that table will be uh, Jimmy Pitaro for ESPN, Bob Iger from ABC, you know, Cap City's Time Warner, uh, or ABC, excuse me, um, Eric Shanks from Fox. They're all going to be right there sitting next to the commissioners of those major conferences dictating what happens. That's Ray, the way I Ray I've got a question for you. Okay. Uh, we see the idea of relegation in college football tossed around a lot. Obviously, mm -hmm. I think most of the schools don't like that idea, especially some of those schools that are hanging on by a thread in the AC or in the SEC or Big Ten. You know, obviously they're they want to be grandfathered into the mega conferences, right? For you know, on the on the, on the contractual side of things, and when it comes to TV rights, does it make sense for relegation to ever enter the world of college football if they do go to two forty-eight team or twenty-eight four team? Uh, playoff or conferences there it's just hard for me to figure out how you can anticipate what's going to happen so how did how does tcu go from in the national championship game one year to where they went three games this past year so and then the next year it might be different colorado is an example of uh worse to being maybe the most watched college football team in the country so fox and uh, espn didn't want to give up their dion opportunities and so it's it's hard to predict what's going to happen. So relegation, uh, obviously, the European uh, soccer, uh, they've got it figured out. And I don't know that you can do that with uh, college football. But, um, Jerry, I don't know if you've thought about anything like that. How could you – I would think they'd want some structure with that. I, I wouldn't know how you could uh, kind of year to year make that type changes, those type changes. Yeah, I think I agree, I agree, I agree with you on that. I don't really have much more on that. Yeah. Uh, that, that that way, I, asked, I asked Matt to bring this this up. I I think Eric Bieniemy would be a tremendous college coach. Like if mm. if he got at USC, UCLA, um, I, I think he would be awesome out there. You know the area where he's from. Uh, I think he was a hellacious recruiter when he was in college. If he ever wanted to come to the college game and, and, and USC, UCLA around his home area. Uh, was open on the West Coast. I think he would. I think he'd be tremendous in the college game. Tremendous. So the last, did he keep his job with? I guess the Commanders. He's he's, he's probably out, huh? Dan Quinn let him go. Yep, did not okay. retain him. I mean, he yeah. was one of. The, if Bobby was here, he'd tell you he was one of the absolute best recruiters out on the West Coast. Obviously, he was a tremendous player at Colorado, but he was a tremendous recruiter on the West Coast. If he if he was uh, had the ability, if somebody would hire him out there, and I'm not saying the Big Twelve, Arizona, Arizona State, I'm talking UCLA. If Lincoln Riley left USC, I think I think he would kick some butt out there. Hmm. Hey, maybe hey, he can Robert. revive Cal because that program's dead. Huh. <laughs> is Wilcox still coaching Cal? He is a good defensive. Okay. I, I I wouldn't take Cal because I don't want to travel to ACC country every yeah. every other week. Cal, <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that? 
Hey, Robert That's Muhammad crazy. has a super chat. And Robert, we, we thank you for this. I can even answer this one. You don't have to pay for tickets to get into the spring game. But, Jerry, you always love to talk about the ancillary things that go on with a football game. Now, the spring game will not be like the home games in the fall. There won't be quite as much going on at Bevo Boulevard, but there will be some things. So, Jerry, tell us about the uh, atmosphere you recall seeing at spring games in the past. And, CJ, you can weigh in as well. Yeah, I actually think – I've said before, Ray, I think this spring game is going to end up being the most anticipated yeah, in 20 do. years. I think CDC is going to build this thing up, even get bigger, better every year. Um, look, there's tailgating. every Almost everything you have on game day. Uh, but I, I think there's going to be such a buildup to this spring game uh, for so many – I mean, you just lay out all the reasons. I mean, Quinn comes back. Well, Arch, you get, this is the most any Texas fans are getting to see an Arch on the field since he's been at Texas at this spring game, 17 new uh, uh, early enrollees, the portal additions that are here, uh, the uh, the number five ranked class, the number three ranked class, these guys growing up, coming off a playoff appearance, going to the SEC. You put all this together, I think the spring game is going to almost feel like a home game in some ways. I think that, So I think Texas is going to capitalize, CJ. I think CDC is going to capitalize on this moment with this move ahead of the SEC. I think it's going to be a festive atmosphere. I'm just hoping it's not 100 degrees like it was a year ago, you know. I, yeah, those <laughs> those seats that were under the, the awnings and in the shade a little bit can, uh, were, were premium spots. But it, it, it's always, you know, one of those environments in which you're hoping to see more of the team. It, you know, it's your, your glimpse of what's to come. Uh, to your point about Arch Manning, we're going to see more of him, yes. And he's also been playing with a uh, little upper echelon talent as well. Yeah. You know, and I think that's very encouraging. We saw and we got, you know, a little bit of a, a tease with Malik Murphy with the long balls last year. I want to see that again with Arch. You know, this is going to be that, that those first real moments with real competition, real talent going against them, if you will. Uh, those those late moments, late in games last year, not necessarily uh, beating down your throat like you will guys trying to win a job out of spring ball. So I'm excited for it. Uh, it should be a, a fun, festive activity as well. So uh, it. I, I mean, spring ball is one of the best times of the year. And that, that time in Austin, as long as it's not 98, 99, going to be great weather. 1, 1 p.m. Yeah. Uh, and by, by the way, it's, look, TCU home uh, series that weekend, right? Yep. Big, a lot of recruits on campus for football that weekend. It's right before Texas heads out for the spring evaluation period in football. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's going to be a big-time weekend. <laughs> Robert Muhammad says 100 degrees in April. <laughs> Hey, uh, on the subject, Joe at Joe at 801 asks, and CJ, you might know this. I'm not uh, privy to what's going on with the uh, Longhorn Network. Joe wonders if the spring game is going to be on the uh, um, on the SEC network since the Longhorn Network is gone. Well, Longhorn Network aired the basketball game last night, so it's not quite gone. So any idea what's happening? Uh, who will air that, uh, CJ? It should be aired on the Longhorn Network, right, CJ? Because I don't think the Longhorn Network goes away till the end of June. I think it's, yeah, June 30th is the last day of the, the running contract, if not August 1st. I think it runs through the summer. Um, and so it should be on Longhorn Network. If it's not, I wouldn't be surprised to see on ESPN. ESPN's shown a, a number of spring games in which uh, some of the most you know highly talented programs over the years, Colorado, USC, Georgia, Alabama, they've all been on uh, uh, the main ESPN or even ESPN2. So uh, I would expect it to be on Longhorn Network for the time being. If it's not, look for the main channel because someone's going to air this this Texas spring game 100%. Hey, Jerry, on Wednesday nights, we have a gentleman named Todd Lacey. He's always on here. And at 8.01 p.m., he gave us some uh, good news about his son. Yes. So uh, he says, 
By the way, my youngest signed today with a D2 school, joins Big Brother, plays college baseball. Proud mom and dad couldn't miss an episode of OTF, though, the best in the business. So, Todd, congratulations. Yeah. Awesome day. I mean, look, I was out at schools today, and so sometimes we forget because we cover University of Texas. I did, did this job nationally. Um, you know, Tyler Chapel Hill today had a signing day for a lot of their football guys. And it wasn't the guys that, that are going to the power five schools. It was the it was the guys that were going to the lower D1 schools, D2 schools, uh, maybe even JUCO. So it, it's a big day for a lot of families around the state and around the country. Uh, and and, and the, the worst thing to me, guys, about the portal is how it's negatively affected high school recruiting there. Everybody, if you're on if you're on that edge of power five and FBS, you get bumped down. A lot of times, if you're on the edge of FBS, FCS, you get bumped down. So it's all, and I've said it, this is like baseball to me. College football is like baseball to me. And I mean that at the top of the NIL, you have the Yankees, the Dodgers, boom, right? And you move it on down. But it's almost become an A ball, double A, where some kids have to go down, prove themselves, and then they just get ripped out. You know, they get recruited to the portal and they move right up to the major leagues, so to call it. So to say, so that's the reality where college football is nowadays from a recruiting perspective. And the biggest, like I said, the biggest negative about the portal is I think there's some really, really good high school players that are having to start at a lower level than what their talent suggests because of where we're at these days. Yeah. Aloha Traveler has a super chat for us as well. Thank you, Aloha Traveler. That's a nice name there. He's out in Hawaii, probably having the time of his life. He says he appreciates you guys this past season. If Texas NIL gets it together and lures a top defensive tackle later this year, this team has a real chance in 2024 and get ready for Arch Madness because it's coming soon. I hope those kids up in Michigan have read Aloha Traveler's comment here. So uh, tell me about um, – CJ, let's start with you. I know that those guys have to jump in the portal for anything to happen, but uh, a lot of change, a lot of churn going on at the University of Michigan these days, and they have a couple of good DTs. Yeah, they sure do. Coach Elston leaving for the L.A. Chargers certainly throws a wrench into their plans and, and whether or not to stay or leave for the Michigan Wolverines. One of the best position groups in all of college football, even with uh, some departures from this national winning or national championship winning pro uh, team this past season. Uh, but you talk about Kenneth Grant and Mason Graham. I mean, two of the best defensive tackles in the entire country. I think uh, Bobby mentioned it earlier on college uh, coffee and football. They're basically expected to take that jump that we saw from Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy next year. And they've already shown signs of that. Uh, if Texas is able to land one out of the portal, if one enters the portal and Texas pursues and they get him on campus, you're then looking at what could be a top two roster in all of college football next year. Top two, top three, you could throw them in right away with Ohio State and Georgia and say no one else is on a level in which Texas is. If they add to that defensive line room, I think, again, as we've talked about, they're one piece away from really having a dominant front there. But you look at the rest of the pieces that Texas has been able to uh, build on this 24 roster, and it's, I mean, find a weak spot. Is linebacker one? There's a lot of experience. There are a lot of bodies. Anthony Hill's returning. But right now, you're looking at a truly, a, a truly, truly, you know, special roster construction this far out, and it's missing just that one piece in the interior on the defensive line. I think if you're able to add a guy that's a day two draft pick, those are rare, obviously. They don't they don't grow on trees, 
but that could certainly elevate Texas into a, a the the elite of the elites when it comes to roster construction uh, heading into the 24 season. I, I'll say this too. I want to add to this because I think this is such an important piece headed into the season for Texas. Texas had a great season. They got to the play. They won the last Big 12 championship they're ever going to play in. Thank goodness. And then they got to the college football playoff. But then they walked off the field with tears and a bad taste in their mouth. Same as Alabama did. So Isaiah Bond, Amari Nyblak, they're in their last season. All these guys are looking at the same goal right now. They got close, but they didn't climb the mountaintop. That is a great position to be coaching from for Steve Sarkeesian mm-hmm. and his staff this year because this is still a hungry, hungry team. I spoke with somebody at, at, at Georgia this year during midway through the season. And the person told me, we're not going to win it this year. And I said, really? He said, yeah, we have too many guys expecting it to happen that mm. don't realize why it happened. And Texas is still in the phase of w- why it has to happen. What's the next step? All these players haven't tasted the ultimate success yet. And that's, this is a great time to be Steve Sarkeesian and his staff. If they were coming off a national championship, would have been a great, it been a great parade. CJ would have been on a float somewhere, I'm sure. But look, <laughs> look, you would have to. That's a different team to coach than the one who got really close and didn't quite get there. I was at Chapel Hill, the high school today, uh, watching them in their athletic period football workout. Those kids were working like a team that lost 26 nothing in a state championship game last year and had disappointment in a one loss, two loss season. Hmm. We need that Ricky kid. He's, he's good. <laughs> hey, what's the the quarterback there? What's he going to play in college? Uh, Demetrius Beer has been committed to uh, Baylor. Uh, he was back at SMU this weekend, by the way, so they're going to keep having that tug of war. Um, look, I, I think probably safety. I think that's where the evaluation process is tough with him. He's a really good high school quarterback. In, in, in some of the old school offenses, I think he would have been a tremendous uh, quarterback. At the next level, I think he throws it better than uh, people think. Um, but I think safeties probably where most coaches, uh, coaching staffs like him. He can play running back. He can play receiver. He's that level athlete. Um, but I, I know a lot of people think he's better with the ball in his hand, which may be true. Uh, but I think the higher level he goes, the more offers he gets, the more those offers are going to be at, at safety long term. Here's a here's an odd one out of left field for you. What about him and Terry Bussey? How do you see the two of them true athletes comparing? Because there's a lot of debate of what you get from Terry Bussey on the defensive side of the ball versus what he is off with the, with the ball in his hand and how he brings uh, kind of some energy to the table there. What do you what do you see there? Is there any kind of comparison? Yeah, I think they're different players. I think Bussey's more of the smaller guy. And it's not smaller meaning skinny. I mean, 5'10 and a half, 180, right? Um, shifty guy. Uh, I, I think there's similarities, and I think they both like the idea of having the ball in their hand. And that goes all the way back to old recruitments, right? Uh, Rail remembers uh, Cedric Cormier when he came out of North Shore, right? He wanted to play wide receiver. A lot of teams wanted to play corner. He goes to Colorado to play uh, wide receiver. Um, and that's what he preferred. So it, it, the question gets down to how bad do those guys want to have the ball in their hand? Mm-hmm. If they do, they're going to take their recruitment a certain way. I think I think both guys can play offense in the college game uh, with success. Do I think that is the best position long term for Brisbane? I, I don't. I can't say that. 
I think Terry Bussey, you know, may be better as that slot receiver versus being a 5'10 and a quarter, 5'10 and a half inch corner in the SEC. Good deal. Or and now he could play nickel too. I don't want to say he could only play corner. We we probably have about five minutes left in the show. And we're very grateful for everybody uh, in the chat. We have some uh, great uh, folks uh, weighing in here and getting into some deep issues over there. And we appreciate everybody kind of interacting and having a civilized uh, conversation right there. But AJJ Sports is kind of bringing us fastball. And I don't I, know if I, you guys are, are you guys ready to take on this question from uh, my man AJJ? You know underscore sports. Uh, I like the this. Which question. current starters at the biggest risk of losing their starting job? Let's end this uh, with this uh, heated, uh, vibrant discussion. What do we got? Not Bird Auburn. Okay, okay. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think he's safe. <laughs> um, not Lance St. Louis. I think he's safe. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting, CJ, is um, when you look at that, it, you know, it, I kind of look at the offensive line a little bit. Hayden Connor's got to hold off some really good players, and Hayden Connor's a good player in his own right. But he's got to hold off Cole Hudson if he's healthy, if he tra- if he keeps training left guard center. Neto had a tremendous into the season in practice, especially bowl practices. So the the trajectory for him heading into the spring's a little different than where it was heading the last season, uh, as he's continued to learn and uh, mature as a player. Uh, to catch up with his body, which is incredible for an offensive guard. Uh, so does Hayden Connor get some cross-training at right tackle to push Cam Williams? Uh, I think the offensive line, kind of what they do there, is going to be interesting. Left ta- left tackle's locked, center's locked, right guard's locked. And Cam Williams is locked at right tackle, unless he just struggles. Yep. But I, in Austin, they think he could be a first-round draft pick in two years. I'm just telling that's what the ceiling – uh, but I look at offensive line a little bit. I think D-line, it's hard to say you could be challenged for a starting job because I don't really think anybody has a starting job there. I think Alfred Collins is a favorite to be a starter, and Savea could actually be a favorite to be a starter. Uh, but I kind of look at left guard and, and, and see what's going to happen there. Yeah, it's it's tough looking at the roster now with all the attrition to the draft and portal and think, you know, there's going to be a lot of – uh, spots available to lose for other guys that were on the roster a year ago. Uh, guys that played a lot in the secondary that are still on roster. You look at Derek Williams and Michael Taft with the guys coming back in. Who's going to bump down? Who's going to bump out of that rotation? Well, we expect them to still remain in that rotation. Uh, how much will we see them? Obviously, Makuba coming in. I think you bump Taft out a little bit. Derek Williams is your best cover safety. Uh, another year next to a guy like Makuba in a secondary that brings a lot of guys back. I think it is a, a a really solid fit when it comes to covering the entire field in the passing game. So I, I think that's a guy that might see a little less playing time. But again, we've seen Texas rotate at a number of positions almost to a fault. You know, it, it feels like at times on, on defense, you're sitting there wondering, you know, this feels like a pretty important down. Like what's going on this personnel? But uh, to their credit and to their philosophy, they've stuck to it, and it's going to be something that we continue to see. I think you hit the nail on the head with the left guard spot. I've also juggled the idea, Jerry, and I don't know. We haven't gotten the, the, the opportunity to speak about it. With DJ Campbell lining up next to Cam Williams, two guys who may not have a whole lot of experience when it comes to blocking stunts, blitzes, you know, twists, whatever it is. 
Is there any world that you might see a flip over to the left side to pair him up next to your your leader on the offensive line with Jake Majors and obviously Cam or Kelvin Banks on the, at left tackle? Is that something you see fit? Do you think Cam, uh, DJ is more fit and natural to play right spot? What, what do you think there? I think they're probably going to leave him where he is as year two as a starter. Uh, right. I, I, think, I think he's just getting comfortable there. Um, you know, I, I think that's what they're going to do is, is, is leave him there where he's comfortable. I think the one thing that we could see there is uh, just a, a little bit more. Maybe does Malik Ogbo work off the right side a little mm. bit more in the jumbo package? Uh, but I, I'm one that thinks um, that Cam Williams is not only going to do well, but I think he might do very well next year. Um, even, though, even though I'll say this, he has a tougher job as a first-year starter because it's the first year in the SEC. Yeah, and, and and I'm not saying the SEC has 14 better teams in the Big 12, but what I am saying is if you follow the NFL draft, you know that a first-year starter at right tackle is facing a different level of athlete with longer arms coming off the edge in the SEC on a week-in, week-out basis. So Cam Williams has a tough job next year as a first-year starter. I actually think he's going to really excel – uh, based on people I talked to and based on where he is in his career. I think he's had two tremendous development years, and I think the guy is ready to go in and chase the NFL dream. Yeah, hmm. I think Ken Williams is tremendous. Tremendous prospect. We're going to wrap this up. We have some responsibilities. Jerry's got to get to some places. He's got some things to do, people to see, that type thing. I want to end things at David Keith Williams comment at 812, Matthew, 812. Now, David Keith Williams, I, I like talking about this guy because he's always here with us. He can be kind of like um, a realist. Let's put it that way. He's like Bobby Burton sometimes. But listen to what David Keith has to say here. This guy's been observing football for a long time, has some pretty good takes. He says, if we can get one of those two guys from Michigan, if Phil Simi develops at safety the way Derek Williams did, and Nye Black becomes a three-down tight end, look at Dave, David Keith. He says, Texas likely wins the championship. So... David Keith is seeing some good things with this uh, 2024 Texas team. So let's yeah, all hope that I, those things happen. I, I agree with him. Uh, maybe not in the national championship because a 12 team playoff is just a totally different. That's brutal. Deal. That's brutal than getting in the, because health is going to be so big come the end of the season. Like health's really big your last couple of regular season games, I think, as a season wears you out. Um, but now you, you don't have time off the heel. You're headed right into the playoff a couple of weeks later. So health is going to be so important. But I'll say this. I think Texas could be a better football. I agree with David Keith. They get one D tackle out of the portal. Not saying out of the portal. That means he has to be a first, second round draft pick. Those guys generally don't hit the portal. But if he's a future draft pick, a really good football player, especially over the ball as Sadir Mitchell continues to develop, um, and then Collins and Savea maybe are playing off the ball a little bit more and with Broughton playing his role, see what Dre Blood does. I actually think Texas may be a better team next year, but that doesn't mean they're going to win as many games. I mean, they could mm -hmm. be more of a 10-2 and two regular season team because, look, you are playing in a tougher league in that week in, week out. You're playing against better, higher-end athletes. Um, and, and if you do that and you're nicked up one week, right, or you just put the ball on the turf three times one week, you, you don't have that same um, margin for error, I think. That's the big thing moving forward. 
uh, for Texas and the SEC because the level of, of football players you're going against week in, week out. Uh, but I think the schedule's really favorable, and I think it's favorable when you look at Florida. Billy Napier kind of struggling to get things going at Florida. That changes Texas' schedule. You look at Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan. I think that drastically changes with all the guys off to the NFL. We'll see how, who they lose in the portal. Uh, Nick Saban obviously leaving Alabama, even though he's not on the schedule. Uh, but if you look at Texas' schedule, I think that I think they're going to be they have a chance to be a better team next year. But they could easily go ten and two in the regular season at the same time and be a better team. Yeah, my my thought is uh, I, I'm not a big quarterback equals wins. You know, wins losses isn't a quarterback stat to me, but in the sense of in the college level to win a national championship, you have to have a difference-making quarterback. If you're lacking other uh, positions, obviously we saw Michigan as a as a full team was clearly better than every team in the country when it came to the trenches and just the pieces surrounding that that uh, that roster. It it made up for maybe not having the most game-changing quarterback with JJ McCarthy. For Quinn Ewers, in my eyes, if Texas is going to have gaps in their roster, and there's not many of them, we've just talked about there's a potential for Texas to be in the conversation to having one of the deepest, most talented rosters in all of college football. But for Quinn Ewers and how far Texas makes a run, it's going to be up to him to elevate this team once again. Uh, we talked about it this past season. It felt like some of the pieces around him at times uplifted Quinn. Now it's time for Quinn to get the guys, mm. the new faces, uh, up to par with what is expected for this Texas team going into 24. You have your, for the most part, all of your offensive line coming back. You got your running, your, the stable is full of running backs. Uh, there's a number of key pieces defensively that are coming back. I'm right there saying, if Texas wins a national championship, it'll be because of Quinn. Texas can get to the uh, the college football playoff because of the roster that they have, but to win and get over that hump, it's going to be because of a third-year Quinn Ewers and a third-year of the system really making the difference, uh, the game-changing difference-making plays uh, at quarterback. That's, to me, the biggest question mark because I do think if you look at the talent holistically on this, uh, on this uh, roster right now, they can compete with anybody, but can mm. they beat the best of the best? Maybe. And yeah. I think Quinn's that biggest difference maker. As someone mentioned in the chat, uh, got to stay healthy. But uh, the kid was rated a perfect recruit for a reason, though. So perhaps we'll see it this year. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Jerry, thank you for filling in. And we hope uh, Rod feels a little bit better. But Jerry Hamilton, you are always welcome on this. Uh, hey, Ray, I got to say this. With the with the Ricky Williams jerseys in the background, I, I think I, I still to this day – I think if Ricky had been a million percent invested in football, he might have been a top two or three running back of all time. But since you have the jerseys on in the background, you have to wear the dress next Wednesday, the wedding oh, dress. Oh, the wedding dress with the, yeah. I, I think you need to break that out for the live stream. Yeah, screwing up on the uh, break on the pool thing wasn't enough for you, huh, Hamilton? Yeah. No, no wedding dress. Great. We're going to get Ashton Holloman to put the wedding dress on there and come on next week, though. Because, <laughs> uh, Ashton's got the, yeah, I bet you won't. You're right, Ashton, I won't. But everybody, thanks. We really appreciate you hopping on. And uh, again, Jerry, thank you. CJ, as always, thank you. I think we'll see you two guys on Coffee and Football in the morning with Bobby Burton and Blake Monroe. That's always a fun show. So until next week, uh, hopefully they'll have me back. We'll see next Wednesday. Thanks, everybody, for watching On Texas Football, the Wednesday night live stream. I'm Ray for Jerry and CJ. Welcome. Thank you.